at $200, a Super Nintendo setup costs twice as much as the old system. For the money, the company promises better pictures, sound, and adventure. Now you're playing with power, super power. You're the king, I tell you! You're listening to the SNES Podcast with your host, Soulblazer. Hello everybody, welcome to the Super NES Podcast, episode 157 at this time, that's 157. Uh, I am Greg, uh, joined by always by my faithful co-host, Joe. Hello. And we are very pleased today to have the first of what's hopefully going to be many guest uh, uh, guest host appearances on the podcast for, for uh, 2021. I've been teasing it for a while. It's been in the works. The pandemic's not helped things one bit. But uh, we have a bunch of people who are hopefully going to be coming on the podcast in the, in the, in the months to come for guest hosts. And I'm honored to be joined today by somebody who has been a co Co-host with us in past podcasts, but, but, but uh, um, I'll be making first, I'll be making first time appearance on this podcast. I'm very pleased to, I'm very pleased to introduce Ollie, uh, coming, uh, coming at us all the way from Ireland. So, um, hello, Ollie. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Top of the morning to you, lads. <laughs> evening for you, actually, right? <laughs> it is. It is actually the, the mid evening, and then I realized. Sometimes when I do this on a podcast where like people go introduce yourself, I go I put on a stereotypical Irish accent, and then it hits me after about five <laughs> seconds. I sound one hundred percent Irish all the time. I don't have to say <laughs> top of the morning to you for people to realise this lad's from Ireland. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that, well, that's cool. I mean, like you know, yeah, because you know, it's been a while since we had a European on the. Um, I like my podcast, and of course, you know, we were talking a little bit about this before, uh, uh um, uh, before the recording. Uh, the Super NES was not as popular in Europe, fighting Europe as it was in the United States, uh, uh, like in Japan. So it's always interesting to hear a different perspectives, uh, um, uh, perspectives like whatnot. So, um, we allowed Joe to pick the, uh, I'm sorry, like, yeah, but I'm okay. We allowed Ollie to pick the, to, to pick the game for this podcast. Um, he wanted to talk about Cannon Fodder, which is a very uh, interesting game in its own right. But we'll get into Cannon Fodder here in a, like a little bit. Cannon Fodder is definitely one of those British design, British Br British sensibility games. So uh, it will be interesting to see how um, you know how we think about it uh, across cultural lines, like whatnot. But anyway, um, all right, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Talk. Um, you're talking about. Um, you know, you know, feel free to talk about your background and what you want to talk about, and also talk about your experiences, your experiences like Super NES, like growing up, uh, like whatnot for us. Yeah, so um, I'm Irish, as you can tell from the introduction. Um, <laughs> I, I have a PhD in physics, if that's worth anything, um, and I teach, uh, I was going to say I teach the equivalent of high school, but it's maybe the level above high school, um, so the community college level of physics to students over here, which basically means I'm a giant nerd. I've <laughs> always been a giant nerd. Uh, I've always read fantasy novels. I've always read science fiction. I've always watched Star Trek. I always loved Star Wars, etc. And I've always been a, a, a gamer. Like I've always you know, wanted to play video games. And when I was a kid, so I'm 
just a little bit over older than Joe, and I won't give my age relative to Greg. But uh, <laughs> but growing up in the eighties uh. and nineties. I was living through the golden age of Sega Mega Drive versus SNES. Like, and also because over in Ireland, we just called it the SNES. I know people don't like to call it that, but it's that's just so ingrained in my mind that it's the SNES because everybody over here calls it that. So if I if I slip and, and accidentally call it the SNES, I don't want any of your listeners like writing in going, "How dare he!" <laughs> How dare he besmirch the Super NES? But um, that's what we always called it growing up. And yeah, it's just a fantastic little system. I didn't have one as a kid. I was a um, I was a PC Master Race before it was cool to be a PC Master Race guy. <laughs> um, so I had like a, a little Olivetti 286 PC. Uh, that's 260 or 286 bits, guys. Like that's... That's how powerful that machine was, like, and it was able to play <laughs> tons of video games, etc. Um, and I didn't start getting into any sort of console gaming until like 1995, 1996, when some of my friends had SNESs or, or Mega Drives, and I'd go round to their house and actually be able to just insert a cartridge, and the game would start. <laughs> Whereas, even back then, as a PC user. You'd put your three and a half inch floppy in, or back in the days, the five and a quarter inch big disks into your drive, and there might be a 45 minute, 50 minute setup process. Mm. Um, making sure everything was right, making sure that if you had any sort of graphics card or audio card set up, and to just go around to a person's house and him to say, All right, so uh, do you want to play some Streets of Rage? And then it's like a one insert process start button, and then suddenly you're playing. Or let's play Street or you know Super Street Fighter, which or Street Fighter Two, which is the best version of that game on the SNES, and you just put it in, and it's just smooth. So yeah, that's where I came to with with the SNES was having spent years being oh, I've got a PC, I don't need any of those consoles. Uh, <laughs> to then realize, oh wait. This is like a, I just put the cartridge in and suddenly you're gaming thing. This is taking all of the troubles and difficulties. And also, I'd never really had a controller before. I'd always been a keyboard and mouse guy, uh, or just keyboard and arrow keys to move your your guy on the screen. Controllers are awesome. <laughs> like <laughs> when you finally get one in your hands, I'm like, oh, so the left the left thing here makes me move, and then the the buttons make me do stuff. Well, this is better than trying to figure out what AS, you know, WASD is using, and am I using Control and Shift and Alt to do stuff? So yeah, that's where I came with it, the SNES, and then I, I managed to convince my parents to get me one in like 1996. PlayStation One was already out at that stage when I was getting <laughs> my first SNES. So, uh, do you remember? Uh, I don't know if they. So yeah, so I don't know if they released this version in Europe. Did you have, um, uh, so did you have the redesigned Super NES? Uh, yeah, the Mark II version. We had. So you guys had the one with the purple bits at the front. Yeah, that was the original version. Yeah, yep. we yep. we never had that. We had right yep. the sleeker yep. version. Exactly, um, which is a cool looking version, I think. It, it is. Yes, I think so too. It's more. Yes, yeah, it's closer to 
Yeah, it's closer to the Japanese version than it was uh, here, but they, but they did, um, but they did like re-release the, the, the Super NES around the time period, in a, a time period in a, like a more sleeker European-like format, uh, at least here in the states. I don't know if that version came out over in, in Europe either. No, I don't think it did. We, I've only ever really seen the one version over here. Okay. And so almost all, right. all PAL SNESs look exactly the same. And when the Mini SNES was released there a couple of years ago. We had our version of it was the European version as well. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Which, by the way, oh. is also a really good console if anyone's going to get one. Like. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Joe and I like both have them. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah. So, um, uh, so what games the system like became your favorites? I right. So, I'm a nerd, right? But I'm also, <laughs> as I said, I love Star Wars. So. Super Star Wars, Super Empire Strikes Back, Super Return of the Jedi, hard as nails, right? Yeah. Fantastic <laughs> games, though. Like, yes. just so yeah, much yeah. fun. Um, like, I was a big fan of side-scrolling beat-em-ups, um, and I was a big fan of fighting games in general, and, and side-scrolling shooters, like, the, you know, the equivalent of War-type. Like, all of these things were, were brilliant to me. Uh, those were basically games I really liked but my all time favourite game is made by the same company that made the game we're going to talk about today so they did a version of soccer called Sensible Soccer yes yep. I put unlimited hours into this um, so Greg <laughs> I know for example that we both listen to um, the Level podcast yes and recently or recently it's in the last year they had um, uh, one of their multiplayer sections was about what game have you put the most hours into it and the hosts were laughing because i said i think conservatively i've put ten thousand hours into sensible world of soccer <laughs> i am a hundred percent certain i've put ten thousand hours plus into sensible world of soccer because <laughs> there were there were years there so from 90 1996 is the version i have 96 97 it was the game I played as my, I've got downtime for an hour, what will I do? Sensible World of Soccer 1996-97. Every day, <laughs> one, two hours a day for years. Absolute mm. years thrown on top of it. And it's not even, like, I'm, I'm saying it's 10,000 hours. There's a good chance it's fifteen to 20,000 hours I put into that. I once, <laughs> I once played a game against a friend blindfolded mm. because it gets into... <laughs> You, you you reached the point. I mean, I didn't win. I lost. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not daredevil of uh, sensible soccer. <laughs> but I I was able to hold him to a particular. You know, to I think it was two nil or something. He beat me. But I was able to do that just because the movements in the game are fixed. You know, and when you've put that much time into it, you know exactly how fast your guy can run and all that sort of stuff. Like mm -hmm. so, yeah, that right. that would have been my favorite game. And the version of it on the SNES is excellent. Um. Again, absolutely rock hard. But excellent. Yeah, we actually. Yep, yep, yeah. So I actually was going to talk about that a, a little bit here, a uh, little bit here, because Ken Fodder does use a, 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 a does use the same same engine for Sensible Soccer, just modified stuff. So, uh, so I was going to talk about that here. Like, uh, I mean, like in a bit, but uh, yeah, that's cool. So, um, so uh, uh, so do you? So do so do you? Do, so, do you do much of emulation? Um, because, like, to be course, I'm sure that you know there's a whole bunch of great games that didn't come out in Europe. That, uh, I mean, like, um, so that only came out like North America, uh, uh, for example. So, 
Um, do you use emulation to? Yeah. Um, a fair bit. Around around about, I'm trying to think, 2006, 2007, maybe. Um, one of the students that I like, I, I had a little gaming group in school, um, and one of the students came up to me at the time and was like, hey, you know, Mr. Brady, you know, we can we can do those all on the PC and we can like set up controllers. And I was like, tell me more. And uh, <laughs> and he showed me how to like get Z SNES and stuff like this down. And yeah, so I mean, I have them. They're they're basically on every PC I own is has a working emulator where I can just <laughs> randomly decide, hey, I'm going to put in 25 minutes and I'm going to play some Street Fighter 2. Like, it's brilliant. Yeah. Right. Uh, let me also ask you because like you know because this is something Debbie says something that I always uh, like ask Europeans about because it's very interesting to hear their thoughts about this. Um, you are like you are aware of course the differences um uh uh acutely aware i'm sure about the differences between like uh, ntsc versus like versus power format yeah um so like i know so i know a bunch of people who are both gamers who are both gamers and collectors and collectors in europe that partly because of that they prefer to collect only uh only an nts uh uh only like an ntsc format like their whole collection is even though you know even though it's easier for them to get european stuff they want to get american stuff because of that so um do you have a preference to which format uh, that you enjoy playing in, or do you carry the way, or what's your thoughts about that? Well, see, this is a hard one. This is one of those things where if you're used to something, that becomes what you you see as being the correct version of it. So, I've, like, I grew up with PAL versions of games, so um, it's noticeable on the SNES. I mean, I've been on the PlayStation podcast back in the day, PlayStation uh, Power, and it was way more noticeable in PlayStation games. But to me, the PAL version will always be the correct version. Everything else just looks a little bit off. The animations are a little bit too smooth. The um, size of the screen is a little bit the wrong aspect ratio. So yeah, I, I prefer the PAL versions. Um, I'm not going to be speed running any games anytime soon, so I don't need that smooth <laughs> 60 frames. So yeah, mm. I, I prefer the PAL version if I can get it. Yeah, yeah, because actually, uh, yeah, because uh, this is, uh, yeah, because I wanted to ask a question partly because of the fact that uh, I think it, um, I was going to bring it up later on, uh, later on talking about the game itself, uh, but, uh, but also because it's kind of interesting to hear about that. So uh, yeah, because uh, modern games really don't have that issue nowadays. Do they? I mean, like I know the so I know the format's still around, but nowadays because of TV set the converters and whatnot, it's not really an issue. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be. I like I can't remember the last time hearing about a, a game being region locked. Yeah, I don't even sure if it happens probably, anymore. Probably the PS2 era, I think. Uh, there was a couple PS2 games that were region locked. That's about it. Yeah. Um. Just a. I know this is not the podcast part, but just I remembered something from the PlayStation and, and how the correct version. I played Metal Gear Solid in black and white the first oh. time I played it because my <laughs> color TV broke. So the only uh. TV I had in my room, I shared a room with my brother, and we were we had the little black and white TV. And I remember hooking it up and playing PlayStation 1 Metal Gear Solid. It's, it completely changes the experience of the game. It's like you're in a like a cold war era spy movie then suddenly uh, <laughs> yeah and i've gone back and done that again because in my head 
Solid Snake is grey and slightly whiter grey. <laughs> and when I when I finally uh, saw it in all its beautiful colours and blues, um, it it just looked off to me. Like so, yeah, I prefer PAL versions of games the same as I prefer a black and white version of of um, Metal Gear Solid, just because I'm used to it. And oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can definitely like relate to that. I mean, like you know, like I said before in the past, like you know, like I spent a lot of time uh, like playing Doom as a kid because Doom was very popular like as a teenager, and it's like it's like my computer at the time only had an ad lib card, mm-hmm. so it's like even to this day, like you know, hearing you know hearing the Doom music in any other format doesn't sound right to me because I played so many years of it like in just like you know hearing the, you know hearing the game like an ad lib form, even though ad lib's not that great. So it's like you know, um, honestly, I definitely like when they. Yeah, definitely, definitely can like relate to that. So, Joe, were um, you but were you a console only kid or were you a PC kid like myself and Greg? No, I started with the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, then, and I got the Twenty Six Hundred. Keep in mind, like in like eighty six, eighty seven. I didn't get my Nintendo until ninety 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 one, and then I sold everything to get a Sega Genesis. Uh, no, sorry. The Sega Genesis was a gift for Hanukkah. Um, and then I had sold all that to get the Sega Saturn because I thought that was cutting edge and it was going to be <laughs> super successful. We, we all make um, mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still love the console, but yeah, it, I mean, it's it was not the smartest thing to do, the, especially when I look back at the games I had and everything else. But I, I still contend yeah, I, uh, that's the worst controller, the worst mainstream controller of any game. I hate it. Really? Uh, I think the Jaguar controller is like probably worse. Oh, wait, yeah, I was going to say... Maybe, wait, sorry, I take it back. The Jaguar controller is the worst controller. The Saturn <laughs> controller is a close runner-up. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know... Um, I didn't get my first PC until, um, fortunately, after my grandfather passed, I had been left some money, and uh, I was able to get an HP, yeah, it was a Hugh Packard Bell, um, at the time, it came with a mammoth 20 gigabyte hard drive, Wow. Um, <laughs> a, a huge amount of RAM, I, I want to say it was 256, if not more. It had a CD burner, which was cutting edge at the time. Like, this thing cost me $1,300 yeah. in 1998. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. 20, like, 20 gigabytes like the... in 1998 was enough to store the planet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? And you know Whereas what I Nowadays, used it for? like, you know, like some 4K movies are bigger than that. So. <laughs> right. So, of course, you know, I used it for some gaming and whatnot, but my main, uh, my main purpose for my computer was literally uh, burning PlayStation games and selling them off to my friends in school after I did mod chip modifications to their PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so my first, yeah, so my first computer was actually a Commodore, uh, uh, Commodore 64, which is a system you should be familiar with like, very mm. well, eh? because that was the that was the that was the rich kid system over there, if I understand. Yeah, we had um, we we never had a 64. We had a VIC 20. Which oh, is yeah. the one they combined. Kid brother. Yeah, yep. They, they yep. combined with the Amiga, and then my brother went to college in 1989, and somehow convinced my parents that we needed an Amiga 500, mm. which yeah. you know, a microcomputer. Yeah, listen, 
microcomputer could be how you describe that. Gaming system with a keyboard is how I would describe that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, so I yeah, so I did not get my first uh, actual IBM clone PC system until like about like 1980, uh, 1988, like whatnot. Uh, but I have gamed on PC ever since then, and like you know, and you know, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always been equal parts like a console gamer, like a console gamer, a PC gamer, because at the same time I had the I had the big the, the same time I had the Commodore, like I also had the NES. So you know. I, like to me, it's like best of both worlds because like certain games until recently we talked about this before, but until recently, certain types of games were just better in one, like were just better like one format than the other. So oh, definitely, like, you know, yeah. didn't matter what it was, I I had it. So um, that's really so yeah, that, that, yeah, that's really only changed in the last like you know like generation. I I think where it's like where like you know now 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 anything can do anything like very well. So but. Uh, but uh, yeah, so very different backgrounds. It's always interesting to hear about the kind of stuff. That's why I wanted to ask you about. Well, I was uh, only uh, mentioning the PC, Greg, because you've yeah. done PlayStation podcast. You've done True. This Is Your SNES podcast. And once you've finished on yep. all of these games, I want you to do a podcast called the PC Gaming Podcast, where you cover every PC <laughs> game that was ever Well, there is a couple podcasts out there already doing that very well. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I just want uh, you to commit to like a 40-year uh, podcasting <laughs> Oh, this is already forty-year podcast, but <laughs> but uh, I mean, it could be worse. I mean, like, you know, it's poor Ferg doing the uh, like doing the Charge Two Hundred again by game podcast, which is like a bigger library than even this one is. Though, so. <laughs> the um, Greg, <clears throat> did your uh, sorry, Greg? I meant Joe. Did your uh, Atari Twenty Six Hundred? Is that the one with the the wood grain finish? Yeah. Yep. The station wagon of consoles. It was yeah. it was one. It's funny because I look back and I and I laugh at the situation because I remember it so vividly. I went to my parents and begged for a Nintendo because I went over to my friend's house and you know I'm like six seven years old and I go over to his house and we play Super Mario Brothers and it blows my mind. Yeah, like, of course. Oh my god, I gotta have this game. So I tell my parents I want a Nintendo and all this other stuff and I'm like hounding them, hounding them, hounding them, and it's like you know. June, July, you know, middle of summer. Like, my birthday's already passed. Christmas and Hanukkah are way off. So, uh, either way, it ends up that my dad gets a hand-me-down system with about 20 games, and none of them were good games. It's the same <laughs> crap that you see in, you know, uh, game stores now. You know, it's like, you know, Asteroids and Centipede, which are all good, but they're so common that, you know, everybody's played them. So I can't uh, say I had a fantastic experience with my 2600, but um, the two takeaways I got was uh, I still to this day will boot up uh, Jungle Hunt and Pitfall. Those are my two favorites on the system. That yeah, I, Jungle Hunt is a great conversion day. Play on a system, you know, excellent yeah. job with it. Yeah. So. But yeah, it yeah. just kind of fell in my lap because all I wanted was a Nintendo, and you know, thankfully, yeah. you know couple years yeah. from there i was able to get one but you know it yeah yep it was That's, disappointing yep. at the time for sure <laughs> yeah no i had yeah uh, yeah mine was a mine was a later a later generation like 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 uh, uh force words vader version that's the one i had mm. Mm. but uh yeah yeah actually actually all atari had a manufacturing plant in your area of ireland uh for so for several years the several years there or the, uh, like in the early '80s, that's where they manufactured all the Ataris for your. Yeah, just just outside uh, side of Cork, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's where all the Ataris for Europe got. 
Yeah, and then they manufactured that. And then um, Texas Instruments had a took over that factory. Um, oh, did they? Atari I moved out, did not know that. Okay, that's where they made yeah. all of their their calculators for sending out to the nerds in Europe. <laughs> plant must be yeah plant must be like like closed by now right uh, it shut down i think it it the plant itself was shut down but i think the area might have been redeveloped and there there's definitely a new digital systems or something along those lines like because in that area there is there's still a lot of technical jobs like that so oh, okay, I, cool. I, I can't remember the name of the company that is there now, but it is something like Digital Systems, and they're effectively making like speakers and stuff. Oh, okay, got mm. it. Okay, cool. All right. Okay. Uh, well, well, let's talk about this game then, uh, are we? Uh, what what was your introduction to Cannon Fodder, and why do you want to talk about it? Right. So, um, I was going around to my friend's house, Peter. Uh, lovely guy, had a snez, uh, otherwise probably wouldn't have been going around to his house. Not that lovely of a guy. <laughs> but we'd go around to his house and he got this game, Cannon Fodder, and on the front there was a picture of a poppy, which has like huge significance over in this part of the world. It's it's how we remember the dead soldiers. So he had like Cannon Fodder and there's this picture, this beautiful blood red poppy on it. And on the back it's talking about, you know, the violence and um, how everything is about you know the futility of war and we're looking at going like use grenades use rockets use machine guns to win the war against these insurgents or whatever it was written on the back and we're like this is cool and then we sat down to play it and it's basically a real-time strategy game and he did not enjoy it but every time i went around to his house i wanted to play it <laughs> So uh, I'd be going around to Peter's house and saying, oh, can I get, can, you know, can I get a squeeze? You know, after, after we played a couple of games of football, I think he had FIFA at that stage. Um, shocking game, but he had it. Um, did we, I'm trying to think what else. We used to do a lot of Mario runs where one of us would do a level in Super Mario All-Stars and then the other guy would do a level and see which of us could do it in a faster time. Um, so we used to do stuff like that and then I would always then say oh can I get a go with Cannon Fodder and there'd be times where he would just like flat up get up and leave the room and go in and watch TV somewhere else and I'd sit in his <laughs> bedroom playing Cannon Fodder because I just I genuinely loved the game it just there's something about it that just speaks to me like just the, everything from the art design to the naming the soldiers to the as you die there are little crosses show up on the loading screens and stuff and it's just you know just a, a fantastic experience and I, i'll never forget it and of all the games that i come back to all the time um like i will play sensible soccer because i'm effectively addicted to it i think but i uh, i will play cannon fodder maybe once a year just sit down and see if i can get through to level 72 most times i can't because um, it is <laughs> rock hard and once you get past mission 5 or sorry level 5 effectively it it's mental difficulty mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah that's interesting um yeah because uh uh Joe I Joe just confirm you'd not played this game before the previous before right I think no I the, the, I played it for the podcast and it was my first experience okay yeah yeah, so like you know, I got this game. Uh, 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 yeah, so I played Cannon Fodder uh, 
uh, the DOS port of it uh, back in the early, um, uh, uh, back in the mid-90s. I don't remember how I got the game. It might have been illegally obtained, like a lot of my software was back in those days, but... Um, Statue of Limitations is way expired at this point, so it's like, um, but... You know, I was also, you know, I was also a teen, so like, you know, not having any kind of disposable money was also a reason for that, though. But anyway, yeah, so, um, yeah, I, yeah, so I play quite a bit of cannon fodder, and, you know, for the most part, I agree with, like, um, Ollie. It's a very, you know, it's a very interesting game, it's a very, like, unique game, uh, like, some areas. It starts off pretty easy, and then, like, then, like, it doesn't take it very long for it to get, like, very, very hard, so. I don't remember ever beating it back in the day either, for that matter, but, um, but, uh, yeah, so. Um, let's, let's, uh, so let's go into the, uh, as, let's, uh, as let's, let's go into the game background history some a little bit, because there's actually, like, a lot here to talk about, and this is really only to scratch the surface. I mean, like, if you want to go into further depth on this, there's still a very good YouTube video with the podcast already out there talking about the history of Cannon Fodder and Sensible Software, the company, that, um, you know, the company that made it. So I definitely recommend that you guys check, check, check those out if you're interested, uh, my coverage here is only going to, like, scratch the surface, uh, on this. So, um, Cannon Fodder was originally designed for the Amiga, uh, which was a great gaming computer, as Ollie, like, already mentioned. Um, uh, 1993, like, when it came out. Uh, and then because the game was so popular, it got poured numerous systems. So eventually, so eventually over the years, not only did it come out for the Super NES, it also came out for the Amiga CD32, the Amiga CD32, the Atari ST, uh, uh, the Atari ST, the DOS version I already mentioned, uh, Acorn Archimedes, which is another, like, British-only system, um, the 3DO, the Jaguar, the Mega Drive, slash Genesis, the, the, um, and then eventually, in, in 2000, uh, all you should know about this, there was a, there, there was a, there was a much-changed version of the game released on the Game Boy Color. Yeah, I've, I've really? seen, I've seen it, and, um, it looks weird. I, I don't know how you would control it or play it, that on that system. It's interesting. I, it's interesting. I, so I played around with it a little bit because I was curious. It's a very different version of the game because they actually made a, quite a lot of changes, change, change the game format, partly partly to suit the Game Boy Color. Um, but the very fact that the game's even running on the Game Boy Color is something sort of amazing because, um, well, one thing, the game has voices. It has voices all over, like all over the place. Um, uh, uh, so uh, like like more voices than the original game uh, like ever had. So, hmm. uh, <clears throat> they also. They also added in like an intro sequence. They also added in like you know like uh, cutscenes and like you know like uh, different uh, an actual an actual mission briefing, a better mission briefing in the start of the game compared to what you got in the original game and whatnot. It's a very different game all like all together. So, um, and apparently, apparently, and apparently because the because this because the game pushes the hardware so, hardware so much, it actually needs the Game Boy Color to emulate. Uh, I'm sorry to run the voices and sound effects correctly. If you play the game on anything else like a Game Boy. Uh, like Game Boy Advance, for example, uh, the voices don't, the voices, the voices don't sound correct. Doesn't sound because... very advanced to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, because it's so in tune to the Game Boy Color software, so it's like, huh, it's interesting. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, that's, so, so Sensible Software was one of the most famous British software, uh, British computer software companies, companies in the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, they are best well-known, as I already mentioned, like the Sensible uh, Sensible World of Soccer franchise, which is still going strong, like strong today, by the way. Yeah, um, you can still. They, it's such a weird thing that there's there's a thriving community of people who play Sensible World of Soccer, and it like there shouldn't be like 
In terms of gameplay and mechanics and everything, it is one of the most simple games that's ever been created. And yet... Yeah, my first time playing it... It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, just to go off the rails like real quickly here. My first time playing it was when they came out with the remake version of... The remake version that I bought on the Xbox... Oh, the uh, 2006 Live. version? Yeah. Oh, no, no, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the, the remake of Sensible World of Soccer. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's... A, the Xbox Live version of that is incredibly difficult. It, it's also very fun, though. I I, mean, yeah. I definitely had a lot of fun with it. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so... so so, um, so, Sensible Software was founded back in 1986. Um, you know, uh, they had a huge list of successes, uh, successes, successes that behind them. They became one of the, um, they became known as one of the premier Amiga developers, as a matter of fact, uh, of, like the system. Uh, them and them and probably, um, uh, oh, um, oh, like Cinematronics, probably, uh, uh, they're probably the two companies best known for Amiga. Uh, games uh, uh, back in those days. Um, so, um, yeah, so, uh, and they had a, most of their games, however, um, they're best known in Europe. Uh, a lot of their games did make it over here to North America. Um, it's just that, you know, different companies may have handled the porting or, or the porting or whatnot. And just like, you know, some of the games just didn't do as very, um, I, I, you know, just didn't do as well over here because the games do have a very British, like British, uh, British sense of humor and uh, personality and gameplay to them. Joe and I have already talked about this before, like a past podcast. It doesn't always translate uh, translate very well to other countries. So, um, you know, I think it's probably like one reason, like why the games did not convert as well, over, um, uh, like over here. But uh, eventually, the company eventually the company fell upon hard times, and they were acquired by Codemasters. Codemasters, like 1999, um, and Codemasters themselves uh, was eventually like you know uh, bought up by EA. They're still in operation today as a subsidiary. Um, I like a VA, so they have all the rights to the, the rights to the, um, this is, uh, uh, this is my software, uh, a library. Codemasters were, um, Codemasters were very big in the late 90s, um, in the, in the PlayStation 1 era, um, mm, themselves yep. in infograms, and they used to do a lot of racing sims, so they would, they had, like, V-Rally, and they had the, um, the Colin McRae rally games, yep, things like that, yep. and they were Co- like a fantastic company. Like they, they, it used to be a high standard. So like uh, Toka World Touring Cars and stuff like that were were all Codemaster games, and they're fantastic games. They also made the Dizzy series. Like they also made the Operation Five Point series. Though so, yeah, mm-hmm. like many many like good games. Yeah, the Dizzy series uh, is Yahtzee from Zero Punctuation's favorite game. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, um, so, the game itself was published by Amiga, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the game itself came out for the Amiga originally, uh, Virgin Interactive handled the publishing, the publishing of the game. We're not talking about Virgin Interactive on this podcast either, so I'll spend a minute talking about them. Um, Virgin, so, uh, as the full name was Virgin Interactive, uh, Entertainment, uh, they were, of course, part of the, part of the mega British, uh, Brit- uh, com- uh, um, uh, company, the Virgin Group, um, so, um, so they were, like, they were in operation from 1983 and under 2006, uh, finally found them, like, closed down. They published numerous games over the years, as well as, um, as well as, like, developing, uh, developing, uh, many games themselves. Uh, the Command & Conquer series they published, uh, Earthworm Jim they published, um, 
many, many, uh, many Disney games uh, in Europe were published under their banner. They also had the right to publish uh, Resident Evil and Street Fighter collection in Europe as well. So, uh, so like the version was quite big back in the day. Eventually, however, a branch of the company, like we're all different fates happened to the company depending upon where you were in the world. Uh, the UK branch, for example, was closed down eventually. The American branch was purchased by EA. Um, so, like nowadays, like nowadays, depending upon what friends are talking about or where in the world you are, certain parts of Virgin Interactive are either owned by EA or Interplay. Uh, Interplay also has a bunch of rights to some of their games, like whatnot. So, um, yeah, so. Uh, Virgin did try another entertainment, uh, 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 entertainment, uh, entertainment-based company in the 2000s, Virgin Play, uh, 2002 into uh, 2009. But like Disney, they decided that they didn't want to be in the market like anymore, and eventually closed it. So, which is kind of a strange thing, given how big Virgin is. But, um, it, 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 but yeah, like it is what it is. It's like I don't understand Disney closing down their entertainment software brand either. So it's like, uh, well, whatever. So Virgin went through. Um, some real changes during the mid 2000s. Um, True. Yep. So they used to have, they were called the Virgin Megastore, um, which was the, I was going to say it was the equivalent of HMV, which also means nothing to Americans. Um, so <laughs> Virgin Megastore's HMV were huge media places. So you could go in and buy CDs. You could buy magazines if you wanted to. I mean, who was really big? Um, but you could buy CDs, you could buy records, you could buy video games, and there were just like like very large versions of Tower Records, for example, right? Um, and they had everything. And then the Virgin Megastore started to close down, and I think it was just a downsizing of the company or a refocus away from that. Like they had their own music division, and they stopped producing music as well. Like it was just this weird thing where they decided that. They were not going to make disposable software things anymore for some reason. Just, right, yeah. You know, strange, because Virtual Megastore used to be, there was a huge one in Dublin that was just mm. fantastic. It was like, you'd get it. So I live in the country in Ireland, so like going to Dublin is like going to the big city, despite the fact that it's only a city with a million people. It's not, it's not <laughs> massive, right? But <laughs> coming from a town with a thousand people, it's pretty big. So... We'd get down there and like the first thing any of myself or my brothers would want to do is, oh, can we go to the Virgin Megastone? And then it was like, we might as well have been the kid from Big in FAO Schwartz running around <laughs> looking at all of the toys. That's what we were running around Virgin Megastore looking at all of the games and looking at all of the CDs from like, I mean, I just remember them having the, the largest warehouse of um CDs on the rack that you could buy. Like, I mean, if I went to the local equivalent shop close to me in, in County Monaghan where I grew up, there might be 200 CDs to buy, and you're stepping into a room where suddenly there were 5,000 CDs all lined up. It was just like mind blowingly large, and then just mm. overnight gone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like, um, you know, Virgin's always been more of a presence in Europe than North America. It's like, you know, I know Virgin these days mostly because of the airline. Yeah. Uh, like Virgin Atlantic. Um, and, and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, uh like also a hotel, a uh, hotel chain. They, they still operate, uh, um, they still operate a chain of, um, chain of hotels. But I know in Europe, for example, there's still, like, there's still books, there's still books and music and railroads and that kind of stuff that they're, uh, part of as well. Also. But, um, yeah, it's like, you know, the company, the company's still doing well, but you know, 
but yeah, you know, they definitely have gone through a downsize, so, um, but, uh, but, uh, anyway, yeah, so, yeah, many, many games I loved, many games I bought as a kid at the computer, they were published by Virgin, so I definitely have, like, fond memories of them. Joe, when you're listening to Greg going through the history of stuff like this, because I always find, I, I always find it f fully interesting, but the stuff like that stand out, do you, do you remember, like, back in the 90s, because we're roughly the same age, so when you were 16 and 17 and playing video games, would it have registered with you that something was from Codemasters or something was from Gremlin Interactive, for example? Or would that have just washed over you? Because realistically, I think most of that would have washed over me as a kid. Yeah, that would have washed over me. The only thing I remember is I had um, Micro Machines and I had Quattro Sports, which were both gold carts. I had to flip a dongle switch on the back Ooh. to be able to play it on the Nintendo. And those prominently showed the Codemasters logo. So to me, the gold carts, other than obviously Zelda, which I knew better, um, were basically made by Codemasters and they stuck out in my collection. Um, but outside of that, no. Like I, I probably didn't learn that Konami had the the rights to Castlevania until well into the late 90s, early 2000s. Like, that's when I started realizing that, you know, all these different companies, whatever, like, to me it was like, oh, it's Nintendo. It's Nintendo, Nintendo, Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that's interesting to okay. say that. Uh, oh, sorry, Joe. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, like, um, I, 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 yeah, sorry, all right, uh, oh, yeah, let me say this, um, oh, then you can, like, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I guess, like, Maybe, uh, maybe I just always like pay more attention to that stuff anyway for some reason because it's like I remember as a kid, even like being like you know like maybe like when I had my Atari Twenty Six Hundred, I was maybe like you know like six seven years, uh, six seven years. Even then, as a kid, I as a kid, I, as a kid, I noticed how much better my Activision games were than the rest of the stuff I had. It was like you know, yeah. As even that early age, I associated, I associated, oh, Activision, Activision games are better for some reason. So even the, so I, I, I guess because that. So I guess maybe because of that experience, I started I, I started paying more attention to companies because it's like during the NES days, like in the '80s, it's like Capcom and Konami were the gold standard for NES games for a long time. Mm. You know, like not just NES games, Super NES games as well. It's like you know, and and so in those days, you only really had only so in those days in those days you you really only had like word of mouth or, uh, or magazine reviews to go off on for a game that was good, like good or not and a uh, good or not and, my, uh, and remember these games were expensive and you probably were going to get like you know like one or two of them a year or, or whatever right. so um but you know you could walk into a store pick up you know pick up like you know pick up like the trademark you know the trademark like you know like gray like gray box with konami on the uh, konami in the front or like their um you know like a trademark like red and blue capcom box not know anything about the game itself, you know, because Konami or Capcom had, had, had made it, like, it was going to be a good game. And, you know, like, buy and take it home and be happy with it. And, 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 yeah, the track record of those companies those days was excellent. There really was not, to this day, I would defend, there was not a bad Konami or Capcom game like the NES. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, it, you know, and that continued, and the Super NES continued, the Super NES also continued uh, 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 that legacy as well. So it's like... So it's like, you know, I've always been acutely aware of the fact that, like, you know, which company is actually developing. Now, mind you, in those days, I did not, um, you know, I didn't realize that, that sometimes, sometimes companies, sometimes, sometimes the games are being developed by other companies. Because that, that information was not really publicly available or shared like it is nowadays. Oh, so you didn't, you didn't, um, you wouldn't have made a, a distinction between Konami as a publisher and Konami as a developer. You'd just go, exactly, it's a Konami right. game, I just it's thought, a Konami game. 
Exactly. Right. So, uh, like, so, like, so, uh, which, 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 to be fair, Konami, which, to be fair, Konami Capcom did develop most of the games themselves, but, to, uh, but, uh, but not always. But you know, compared to other, you know, you know, compared to other companies, like, like, Acclaim was notorious for this. Acclaim would often just shovelware their games out to like these cheap ass developers in Japan or whatever. But the, uh, uh, but they wouldn't be mentioned anywhere on it. Like you know, like for example, like Atlas made numerous NES games. Nobody knew that because speed their games. They have yeah, because their name uh, never got any press. So it's like, but um, uh, but yeah. So like you know, um, like like you know, and going back to you know, going back to version again, it's like you know, yeah, yeah, they were just a publisher, but a uh, publisher. But I realized. I realized, I realized, I realized even back then that they, they had they, they had very good taste in the games they published because it's like you know like I I mentioned on their games like you know like Command and Conquer like a, um I you know Command and Conquer like in the uh, on the other series that the, uh, um the other series that they published so it's like and you know Nintendo Nintendo also I was also acutely aware of which game is Nintendo because Nintendo actually hit you over the head with that you know which <laughs> game is actually like there you got that seal of approval but, Greg yeah, <laughs> yeah so. But yeah, so it's like I know the kids also paid a lot of attention to Konami and Capcom in the day. But you know, I guess I've always been like more acutely aware of it because of my experiences, experiences at Activision, like way back when as a kid. So it's like, it's the, it's like so yeah, I guess I always had like paid more attention, like I uh, paid more attention like that kind of stuff than the people have because, um, you know, and like, and and and, and like, and I really did up until the PlayStation days. Um, so the, uh, I knew when the home, when the home system started to break down. So. But anyway, oh yeah, I didn't, did not mean to cut you off. Oh no, it, it don't, I was just going to say is I find now that um, it's become almost commonplace for people to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, like just for example, I like I, I, I interact with a lot of kids who are 16, 17, 18, 19, right? And I'd be talking to them about video games because I still game. I'm, I'm not really as big into the more popular modern stuff. But I'll, you know, I'll still be able to hold a conversation with them. And I've heard kids talk about, you know, for example, like take a, a Souls game and they're talking about Elden Ring coming out. And they're like, oh yeah, but she can trust From Software, right? Yeah. Like, there mm-hmm. is no way that 18-year-old Ollie Brady was wandering <laughs> around saying, I don't worry about it, you can trust this software developer. And I was <laughs> gaming way more than I was back then. So at this point now, you even I've even heard kids talking about... Um, the people who are creating the games like oh the lead developer on this game mm. is the guy who did god of war on the playstation 4 the you know the redone yeah. god of war and I, like i've heard kids say that i have gone that's like knowing the second unit director on sleepy hollow the tim burton movie you know what i mean like right. why <laughs> why would any kid at 17 or 18 actively need to know that but because they're on reddit all the time Sorry, not necessarily Reddit. Right? I don't want to sound like I'm talking crap about Reddit. I don't want them to come after me. But <laughs> but because kids are online a lot, that's the discourse that is so much more common than it was back when we were kids because yeah. we weren't living in that world. You just might recognize the front of a box saying, from the makers of, right? right. Um, yeah. Whereas, as I said, nowadays we have movie... like we all know who directs every single movie like right. as soon as it comes up like i automatically go oh, oh this is a judd apatow connected movie so you know what that means right and it yeah. seems to be that's the way they're going with video games like um naughty dog 
just such a, a highly recommended yeah. developer that kids know that it's a new Naughty Dog movie or a game that's coming out. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I don't think it was that, that way in like 1996 beyond, as I said, the Nintendo seal of approval. We all knew that that little gold seal meant that it was going to be a good game. Unless it was Star well, Fox. Potentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, well, they certainly tried. I mean, like, you know, Activision and EA, uh, like in the 80s, did start giving out credit to pro programmers, or to programmers, um, um, you know, uh, in their, in, like, the manuals, the, <clears throat> uh, the manuals, the press releases, like, whatnot. Like, they tried. Uh, I don't know, I, you know, you, you know, I agree with you, I agree with you. I, I don't think many people, like, really, like, um, uh, they, they really latched on to that, but it's like, the first person I'm for the, but, but yeah, the first, but yeah, but, but, but yeah, the first two big names I remember associated, associated gaming would, would be like, uh, like Miyamoto, because I was working Nintendo, mm, like, yeah. like you knew, like, like, as a kid, um, he was a teenager in the 90s, and in the 90s, I was like, oh, oh, like Miyamoto worked on this, so it must be like a good game, but because, you know, the reason was that good, and then like, you know, in the PlayStation era, uh, Kojima also took off a huge, a huge, like, you know, like, you know, because everybody knew that Kojima was the mastermind behind, was the mastermind, uh, um, it, so was the guy behind, like, Metal Gear Solid. Never mind the fact he already had, um, you, uh, never mind the fact he already had made the first two, made the first two Metal Gear games and a bunch of other games besides that. Hmm. You know, it, um, it, you know, it was because of the hype of that series that, that his name became, like, so well known. So, like, yeah, the, the yeah, the, yeah, the trend... The trend's older than people might realize, but it definitely has accelerated in more recent years. It is very curious to, um, uh, I'm curious, uh, curious to hear like how widespread that they're, uh, um, um, yeah, that that is. I, that that is. I think the first name, if you were to try to pin me down and say, name one developer or designer of video games that jumps out to you, um, I know John O'Hare from the Sensible Games, and that, but that's just because I love the Sensible Games. I don't think I would have known his name back in the 90s. But if you were to ask me to name one guy, I think it might be Peter Molyneux. Hmm, yep, yeah. Which, you know, and he was fantastic, but also a blatant liar, so... You yeah, know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah, he is, yeah, he is complicated for sure, but, um, yeah, but definitely talented, though. But, uh, yeah, I... Uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, like you know, yeah, it's like you know, like like you know, like uh, oh yeah, I mean, like you know, Sensible Software was more like of a British company. The comp company, did you did you realize back then, Cannon Fodder was made by them? I mean, like you know, like yeah, to, 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 to love, as a lover of, um, sensible, lover of soccer, sensible Soccer, yeah, hundred uh, percent. So, um, so uh, back in those days, you would only get one or two games a year, maybe like I, there was definitely years, the lean years, I like to call them in the, the mid nineties, uh, where you'd only get one game for a console in a year, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. PC, it was great because, as, as Greg said, you could always find them if you knew what you were doing. <laughs> your like, it was really easy to, to take the right protection off a, a, a floppy disk and make a copy of it, you know? Like, these things were, were easily done. But yeah. um, for something like a, like a, an SNES or, or a Mega Drive, it was, you know, those games were expensive in Europe. I'm not sure what they were in the States, but I remember seeing um, specifically uh, A Link to the Past uh, for £64 mm, in okay. 1994, yeah. 1995, was that the year it came out? So £64. About pounds. 
which yeah. would like so first of all it's pounds so it needs to be converted into dollars so that's around about a hundred dollars back then and then add on the fact that we've had 25 years of inflation yeah it's 120 bucks for just the the bare copy of the game like so therefore you were lucky to get one to two games a year so for something knowing that this was a sensible soccer game i or from the same company who made sensible soccer and made um whiz ball and had made micro pro soccer back in the early 90s i i really wanted to play it which is why when my friend got it i was like okay i'm all over this and constantly going around and it, i said they're, they're just fantastic like playing it now again on the nes or the sorry the snes it's not exactly an enjoyable experience because it's a game that really needs a mouse and joe hopefully yeah. will be able to tell us like he's coming to it new and he doesn't have the love <laughs> for it that i have i persevered i finished it this week by the way um oh awesome. and i really okay, like cool. i mean i may have gone and watch the youtube video to figure out how to get through level level 64 because <laughs> that is difficult but i did manage to get to the end of it and i i maybe only did that on the amiga back in or sorry on the pc version the, the dos version back in maybe 97 98 but i persevered through and i finished it but it wasn't an enjoyable experience because of the controls but the game itself the actual core gameplay it's fantastic it's genuinely yeah, an yeah. enjoyable game to play so, uh, oh, sorry, uh, uh, yeah, uh, this is going to happen to you if it's not here. Sorry about this. Uh, uh, Joe, go ahead. No, I was just going to mention that, you know, absolutely, um, I, I, I played it on the Super Nintendo for the first time. This was my first experience. Um, I didn't hate the game. I went in thinking that I was going to not enjoy this game just by the little bit that I saw on... Uh, yeah, because you're not YouTube. really like an RTS fan, though, are you? Right. And, like, I was just like, okay, I see it. Like, Greg is once again, you know, giving me a slow <laughs> plotting game that I got to go through. And I was like, it, it's, it is whatever, you know. But um, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, I didn't get far. I think I got to, like, Mission 4 before I threw up my, my hands. But that's, um, that's still good, Joe. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with the, with the speech um, that they had in the game, the the ambiance. The only thing I didn't like about this game, in all honesty, is the fact that there was no music while you played. They had yeah, some great tracks in the beginning. Yeah. They had some great tracks, like on the mission briefing, mm -hmm. but like nothing in between. All it is is ambiance, which is fine because you know it helps you find your enemy and. You get to hear the guns gun them down and they go, and everything else. And, um, you know, and this game for a Super Nintendo game, especially, is pretty brutal. It's, I was it's very to brutal. see people get, get getting <laughs> people getting, you know, torn apart and everything else. That really surprised me. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this, this the game was good enough to where I installed an Amiga emulator. Mm -hmm. I got the game for the Amiga. And I sat down and I played it on the Amiga. I got a lot further. Um, I got, I think, to like round 11 or 12. So about twice as far as I got on the Super Nintendo. You're, you're way I, into the difficult missions there, Joe. Like at that point, like even <laughs> even back when I was playing this a lot uh, in the mid 90s, you'd be losing tons of guys by the time you get up to there. Like actually, yeah. screen, screen over, like game over, sorry, screen over. 
it's like i've <laughs> never played a game before like a game over screens <laughs> popping up and stuff so like to yeah. get that far is impressive yeah and it, you know what like this is the first game that like i really played um as far as like a real-time strategy where like when one of my guys died like i felt that like it was like in my chest like i was like oh man like <laughs> that dude just went through you know x amount of missions like he just pulled all this stuff he ranked up which that's another thing this rank up system i don't even think that did anything like i thought like my guy was getting stronger so i was like cool he's getting <laughs> ranked up maybe he can be more of a bullet sponge no he's still gonna die uh <laughs> so <laughs> i didn't understand the point of them uh including that um aspect into the game but yeah, I makes actually you feel enjoyed this more Joe. than I thought I would. It makes you, it makes I, you. I know. <laughs> I love that's corporal, exactly what it is. Corporal Jobs, Brigadier yeah. General Jules. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I agree with yeah, you. The, name, the names are fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Plus the game name itself is, yeah, yeah. Plus the game name itself is very on point because Brigadier guys literally are Ken fodder. So, right. Uh, but yeah, especially like some of those. Uh, uh, some of those missions. Um, so I may be able to speak more about this because you know I'd never had an Amiga as a kid, but my, but my, uh, but my thoughts as to why the game doesn't have any music during the actual gameplay is because like because of the fact that it is, uh, uh, its origins are on the Amiga, and therefore the game originally originally shipped out on discs. So right. like, you know, like uh, trying to trying to load and play all stuff on the fly uh, in those days was not easy. So like you know like, um, you know once. You know, once CD games came out, they could play music tracks much easier during gameplay because of it, during gameplay because of, because of, because, of, because of streaming the music directly off the CD. Mm. But most days, um, you know, it, you know, it had to load everything. Space was precious. Uh, memory right. was limited. And just like you know, um, but uh, but uh, but yeah. So um, but speaking about the music, uh, um, you know, like um, there actually is there actually is a song at the start of the game, the opening. Uh, are you opening on the game? Super NES version for some reason does not does not contain the lyrics uh, of the song, which most of the versions do, because you know all I can speak about this as well. Uh, the original the, uh, the original Mika version and most of the and most of the uh, the Atari ST version has it. The Jaguar 3DO versions all have it. There's actually a song sung at the start of the game, mm. like you know, like War's Never Been So Much Fun, which is actually a very like catchy tune. Yeah, so, yeah. The, the music um, even in this version, it's at it's a bastardized version it's the only way to describe it of the original <laughs> yeah. tunes the, 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 it's actually a kind of a cracking soundtrack like it's not something where you're going to sit there it's not like Final Fantasy 7 soundtrack where you're going to throw it on and be like oh it reminds me of Marsh you know but like you're, <laughs> going, you're going to sit there and play ah yeah that immediately brings me back to Cannon Fodder. I know that this yeah. here is the intro to the jungle levels in Cannon Fodder, yeah, right? right? And it's fantastic, yeah. but the reason it's not, as you said, it, 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 they couldn't really load it straight from the disc, 144, or 1.44 megabytes, or whatever the discs had at the time, right? So they, they couldn't really load it to play from the disc, or whatever, but they also are a lot of ambient sounds. So on the Amiga version, if you're walking in the snow, you will get like a little crunch crunch of the steps, um, which we're not getting yeah. on, on the SNES version. But again, it, there was limitations to the system. It still right. sounds good, I suppose. It's just as, yeah. yeah, you might want to have a little bit of music. Um, it might also be for the fact that you need to be able to hear the guys off screen 
or else the game would like at the more difficult levels it would become almost impossible true yeah like yeah right yeah because the game doesn't have radar so you really have no idea unless you played them in the like you played it before like where the enemy guys are coming from so uh yeah those sound cues are very important especially later on in the game um just to go off track a little bit here uh i actually um i actually wasn't aware about this um there were sequels to this game uh because the game was so popular Ken Fodder 2 and Ken Fodder 3 yeah also uh, good games <laughs> really enjoyable <laughs> oh yep I, yeah yeah i was gonna ask you because i never played them so um um so is so is Ken Fodder still your favorite of the series then I personally, um, I think Cannon Fodder Two is a better game. Okay. But it's it's more of the same. Yeah. I just think that the levels are a little bit more interesting in Cannon mm. Fodder Two. Cannon Fodder Three feels like a hey, listen, we had some other ideas for levels. Let's throw it out, and it's it, not bad. It's still fun. It's still you know a good game. But yeah, I personally prefer Cannon Fodder Two. But that also might just be because that's the game I of the series that I put the most amount of time into. So okay. you yeah. kind of you have that in the back of your mind, like you know that's the best of them. But it might not yeah. actually be the best of them. I just happen <laughs> to enjoy it more. Um, right. I was just thinking, uh, the guy John O'Hare, the uh, the lead developer, is the guy who wrote the music, and um, he also did the music for Sensible World of Soccer, which uh, mm. I'm going to play on my phone because it's on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, send, yeah, 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 soccer, that's like, that's some good, like, good music, that song's very good. I'm just gonna stop, it's just, yeah. the idea that somebody would write, but, like, guys, we need a song for the intro, how about, you're a goal-scoring superstar hero, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get ahead in the game, like, come on, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'd hear that, yeah, to hear that, to hear the actual lyrics of the song and the original Mega version of the game was like, oh, this is interesting, but, mm. um, but, uh, yeah, the Super NES version has this, has the song, it's recognizable, as I always said, but they, but, you know, even though Super NES could handle voice, they decided to leave the lyrics out, so, uh, but to be fair, but, but to be fair, the Mega Drive version didn't have it either, the DOS version didn't have it either, but, um, so, the Super NES port of the game is interesting, because, um, Maybe you can shed a bit of light on this, Ollie, because um, one of the problems I have occasionally in your occasionally in your, in your research 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 like podcast that older video games we're not older, older video games are not um, are, are not documented mm -hmm. uh, then then as they are now. So um, trying to find information uh, information on why certain things happened can be very complicated and difficult sometimes. Yeah. So um, the Super NES version of the game only came out in Europe. There's only like a power version of the game. Uh, which apparently did not sell very well, or was not a very big run, because it, because I will get into eBay pricing at the end, but uh, there's not many copies of the game available on eBay, they are very expensive. Um, so the game only got a power release in Super NES. Um, there is evidence to suggest that it, it there was evidence there was evidence to suggest that there's to suggest that an NTSC port was in the works, um, because there is, for example, a listing of um, there's, for example, a listing of um, a, a listing of passwords. Um, you know, the game uses a password system yeah. uh, to advance your progress. Mm -hmm. uh, in the console version, where the, where the original computer version had a save disk and a function instead, but uh, the passwords are different for the PAL version as compared to the NTS, um, you know, as compared to the NTSC version, which is uh, which suggests there was an NTSC version like being planned uh, or worked on. The, uh, uh, the password system was, if I remember correctly. 
because the password system for sensible games was crazy like the one for yes. sensible <laughs> soccer was a, a, a circular disc that you had to put together football kits and then it gave you a code from it and this was mm. the one for cannon fodder was like um I, I put this sheet over page 55 or 22 of the manual and what word is revealed in box <laughs> number six yeah. so like you I, you I, had to have the manual and yep. the sheet to yep. be able to get into the game i do not miss those days <laughs> <laughs> not one bit but anyway yeah so so anyway i can't say for sure the best evidence the best evidence I could find online uh, online suggests that the game was planned and possibly developed for the NTSC markets, but never came out. Hmm. Um, it's possible a prototype is sitting somewhere in storage somewhere, and somebody's sitting on either because they are uh, 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 either because they're afraid to release it to release it, or because they don't want to. You know, there are certain there are certain there are certain rare prototypes that collectors sit on for whatever reason if we don't want to share it for reason whatever. So. Um, but they, uh, yeah, so um, I'm not surprised the game did. Um, so I'm not surprised the game did not get a North American release because most versions of the game did get released in North America. Uh, because like, I think the Genesis version did come out here in the states. I'm not sure about that one either. But um, but the Atari version definitely did. The DOS version definitely did. Um, like you know, the game did. Uh, the game definitely did. Uh, the game definitely did. The game definitely did come over here in the states. It didn't do as well in the states as it did in Europe, of course. But, but it's very, um, it's very British, as you said. Like it's yes, like the, but... the whole sensibility, and I suppose the sensibility, <laughs> pun intended. Um, <laughs> but the whole, the, even the whole look of the game, uh, the whole, the whole cannon fodder aspect of it, like. Hey, get in here. Um, you guys are, are literally just going to get wiped out. You're now heroes of the war. Even if a guy dies without doing anything, he gets onto the list of heroes. You know, stuff like this. Oh here. yeah, definitely. Like, it's all yeah, yeah, it's all very, very. It's very uh, Blackadder humor. Um, and yes. so maybe they were worried that that wouldn't translate into the SNES yeah. uh, market in the states because, as we know, SNES fans are are giant children. Um, <laughs> they, they don't they don't, they don't get satire but um yeah so yeah. um yeah so i can i can see why they didn't release it it's just a shame because like to yeah. me it's a fantastic game the controls are an issue a little bit because you know you're going from a mouse where you can scroll over and highlight stuff to using the controller where you have to hit two buttons at the same time to launch a grenade and sometimes it doesn't work properly but yeah it's, it, it would have been mm. good i think i think americans would have enjoyed it well the original release of the game actually had a whole bunch of controversy attached to it as well uh, which i probably can speak about like better than i can but oh yeah well um, what happened was uh i'm trying to think what the best american equivalent would be uh, so let's just say the national Enquirer, right uh, so the newspaper equivalent of the National Enquirer found out the game was called Cannon Fodder, saw the front cover, um, had a picture of the poppy, and the poppy is very important in the UK, right? Mm -hmm. It is their um, Memorial Day celebration, effectively, is people wear poppies to remember those who died in the wars. And the idea that th th this newspaper took it upon themselves to suddenly decide that they were mocking soldiers. That's not what the game is about at all. They were glorifying war. Again, that's not what the game is about at all. But <laughs> this was published and 
they went around and told leaders of the um, so uh, like veterans association leaders that that's what this game was doing oh it's glorifying war it's making joke out of out of what happened to you guys over there in you know world war Two or world war one whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be and this led to a lot of outrage beforehand but that's not like a hundred percent that's not what the game is yeah so yeah it it had some protests when it was being released they tried to make them take the poppy off the cover it they weren't helped by certain magazines sticking up for the game but mm. doing so in a there's no way your publicist taught this true when they said what you said like which was like <laughs> oh old soldiers are angry at the game i wish they were all dead like that was that was a, a quote i think i remember from from the head of playstation or sorry playstation Power. it became playstation power magazine it was called amiga power magazine like that was what the editor wrote as his response to the controversy you're like Come on, dude, get over it. Like you could I believe the actual line was old soldiers, I wish them all dead. Yeah, well, so. it, there you go. I knew it was something along those lines. Which did not help like one bit. Yeah, so. no, that's <laughs> that's not gonna make it any. And they like they were trying to argue a poppy is just a flower. Like and the thing about it is sensible so- sensible software never once were making those arguments. This was no. journalists taking it upon themselves to make the arguments for sensible yeah. soccer. John O'Hare, like his granddad had fought in world war Two, like he yeah. he wasn't himself gonna go the poppy doesn't mean anything because the poppy yeah. does mean something that's why they chose it yeah because it's specific yeah the game's actually like you know right yeah i yeah right, exactly yeah because like you know the developers yeah because the developers are on record saying this game was designed to be an anti-war game which it really is mm-hmm. like you know like but you know it's but like, you, know, like, you know, it's very fun, it's very comical, but at its core, they're trying to say, like, you know, like, look, war actually is terrible. You know, like, we're against it. We're just trying to make the game, like, we're trying to make it a little bit more, like, you know, like, friendly. Uh, like, um, uh, I like Mass So, like, I think some of that may have thrown up. So, like, so I think it's, so I think some of that may have gone over, like, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, people's heads, too, as well. So, um, but speaking about the cover, so I, so... The information I have here all oh, indicates that they did actually yank, that they did actually like yank the the, the 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 original cover image because all the pictures I found the cover online do not have the poppy the poppy on the cover. It just simply just shows like a beige a beige like a beige color. So if there were versions of the game released with the poppy still on the uh, still on the box, I couldn't I could not find them. My understanding was that they were, it never came out that way. Oh, I, the poppy the, the is poppy, still the poppy definitely came out on the box. Um, okay, I've 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 seen it. I've owned it. Um, I've never seen any pictures of it online. I looked, yeah, I could not find any. The, uh, but maybe not on the SNES. Well, the Amiga version, uh, the Amiga version, like if you go to Wikipedia, for example, right there, there's a picture of the Amiga version of the it's game. It's got a little soldier. Like, no popping. Yeah. Yeah. And stuff like that, so, right? But the original, like the the original versions with the poppy definitely were in stores. Um, and I think they, I, mean, I can't remember. I don't even remember if it was even a second run of the game. But the, but it was definitely released with the poppy on on the cover. Yeah, there um, must have been. Um, but uh, but yeah, actually, let me let me share this picture with you like real quick here because uh, the poppy the poppy the poppy they did use very heavily like in the title screen. Um, on the game itself, that's still there. Oh yeah, but, sorry. Uh, the title screen so. it, it was it was definitely still there. The where versions of the game right. had it on the cover as well. Um, but. yeah, but that, yeah, that's so. the most that's. The way more common version of it you'll see yeah 
which is yeah. just the green, right. which is uh, meant to be camouflage, I'm assuming. Yeah, exactly, right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, but uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so as mentioned before, this is a real-time, uh, as been mentioned before, this is a real-time strategy game, uh, which there is, like, you know, it's action, but there is, but there is also a lot of strategy involved with it. Um, I actually was reminded quite a bit about, and I, and, you know, I played this, uh, first, so I didn't make a connection with this as a kid, but now playing this again, I'm like, this actually reminds me a lot of, like, if, like, you know, Command & Conquer, like, how it plays, because it's like, um, it, there's no vehicles, there's no bases, mm -hmm. but the actual gameplay itself feels very CNC to me. Uh, with, uh, um, uh, because there are missions in CNC where you're just basically doing this, where you're just, like, where you're just taking these water soldiers, moving around the map, uh, uh, um, you're trying to kill everybody, so, um, but they, uh, yeah, so, um, there's a total of, or like, there's a total of a, um, uh, oh, how many, how many, uh, missions altogether are there? Oh, 72, yeah, 72 levels through, through 72 levels through, through, like, like, 23 missions, and as mentioned before, they do get very, very difficult, uh, shortly, uh, hmm. uh, shortly in, so, uh, your squad eventually is increases sizes in, in size to five soldiers, um, you have the ability to shoot the guns. You also you, you, you also have grenades. You also be uh, um uh, you also can pick up rockets or uh, rockets later on. Um, supply crates are an important are an important risk and reward because um sometimes sometimes you have to be careful uh, careful using them or not because they uh, use them or not because if, because they explode they can damage you uh or, or kill some of your soldiers. Yeah, uh, and, and some, some of some of the later levels, they're positioned yeah. specifically to make you think oh there's where i'm gonna get my grenades and it's just right. for it like it's not it's not like the enemy are laying a trap the game has mm, put yeah. them there specifically because if you don't clear out the enemy on that screen a stray bullet will blow those up before you get to them and you know so it, it becomes tactical to get them in like when you were saying it's like command and conquer it's like command and conquer if there's only one unit exactly yeah. right yeah yeah so but uh yeah, later on in the game, you always have to face against things like, you know, like, jeeps and tanks and helicopters and whatnot, which makes the game much more difficult. Um, because, like, and you will, like, and, and yeah, like, the name applies, you will go through cannon fodder in this game, because, like, you know, um, uh, that opening, the opening screen about the line of guys going over the hills, yeah. like, to the gates, Wearing their is regular so clothing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, because the road drives talking about the point, oh yeah, these are just, like, fodder for us to use, and, like, you know, like, like who cares? You lost like five soldiers, uh, five soldiers, soldiers on that mission. You know, like here's five more four saps. Like, won't take their place. So it's like, and mess the message behind that is so deep when you think about it. There are um, hidden mechanics in the game that um, you don't even realize until you've played it a lot. So when you when you were playing, you would have noticed more guys lining up. Um, so at the start, you know, at the start of each mission, there'd be more guys coming over the hill to increase the right, length of yep. your line. That's the number of new guys who show up is controlled by your ratio on top of the screen. So yeah. it says you versus them, and then they have a score, like it's a score system in the war, effectively, right? If you are losing quite a lot of guys, you get less new members showing up. Because the idea is that if you are doing gloriously well in the war and killing hundreds of the enemy, idiots are lining up to join as a soldier. <laughs> yeah, so they're running exactly. up over the hill. And it, like it's a, it's a very simple yet very clever mechanic to show, hey, we're doing great. Those 20 new guys have showed up outside the base trying to join the army. But if you're doing poorly, there's only three or four show up. 
I'd say, because yeah. who wants to go to a war that's a war of attrition where people are dying, like? Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. The developers, the developers were, the developers definitely knew what they were doing, like, making the game. It's like, you know, it's like there's, you know, there's themes on top of themes on top of themes. But you may not actually, like, realize all that stuff until you've actually, like, uh, played it for, like, hours and hours and hours with, like, something explaining to you. It's like, you know, it really is a, um, you know, the game really does, the, the, the game, the game really does, Really does try to prevent a very strong anti-war message. Uh, yeah, a message to you. The, so, the end but. screen, the, the finishing screen, I think is the most poignant thing, because once you finish the game, it tells you you won, and then it gives you a list of all of the soldiers that have died, and mm. it runs yeah. through with their stats. And then the final finishing screen again is you win the game effectively, with your score versus their score in the top of the screen, but on the hills is just littered with the crosses of all of your soldiers who've died so you have a screen which is like you've won the game but you have all of the dead people who you know effectively were fighting the war for you a general sending them out right. to do stuff they're the ones who are dead but hey you won the game like and like as a as a finishing image as an ending image yeah and having to look at the names of all of your characters that have gone through and died it's very effective at mm, hey yeah like war is not for fun yeah right yeah yeah and even though i think the british humor doesn't always translate very well to the states i did think this game was still the um you know um i think um i think most of it worked pretty well for this game i did think this game like very funny um you know like i mean you know, there are points up in like where like um, you know, there you, you, you know, there are points like where they laughed out loud at it. So, um, but um, um, Joe, do you have any experiences of like you know, like you know, like the um, you know, the humor in the game or some of the over the top uh, um, um, effects of the game? Uh, that being a person, yeah, like I, like I said earlier, like you know, like I was kind of shocked to see like you know people getting blown apart and whatever else, which you know obviously was programmed there, you know, the charts specifically, yep. you know, for this. Um, but, you know, I love British humor, so I, I picked up on little <laughs> things here and there that, you know, I I enjoyed. Like I said, the, yeah. th this game was enjoyable because of everything surrounding the mechanic, which is yeah. why I was like, oh, I need to get an, an Amiga emulator and play this on the Amiga proper because, like, if I'm enjoying this cut-down, essentially, version um, that's being hindered by a controller, like, it's got to be better with a mouse and keyboard. Yeah, 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 yeah. True. Uh, yeah, the names of the games. I already mentioned the names of the game are great. Like the names of soldiers is like you know that's a you know like you know you know it's also like a very tongue in cheek reference on some of them. So, um, but yeah, yeah. So let's yeah. So let's talk about the port itself. Uh, all has the most experience, I think, with maybe the original, the original, the original computer versions. But um, I don't know. I think it's a pretty good port. Um, like you know, there are the usual, you know. You know, the, the, the Super NES was not as powerful. As, the Super NES was, like, was not as powerful as the Amiga, so there are, of course, concessions that had to be, that had to be made. Um, the graphics definitely, uh, the graphics definitely, the graphics definitely don't, uh, uh, don't, uh, don't look as good on the Super NES. I mean, they're still good graphics, but the, the graphics, when you compare it to the Amiga version, you're like, oh yeah, like no contest. Um, you know, the music, um, the, the music sounds good, but again, it's not as good as the original tunes on the, the original tunes like the Amiga version of it. Um, but the uh, you know the sound effects also like as well. Uh, of course you have the you of course you have the um you of course you have the whole like controller versus like mouse and keyboard uh, uh, um 
um, issue. But uh, all in all, those downsides that the uh, all in all those downsides um, uh, um, taken into account, the the, the game's a very good port, I think, uh, on, on Super NES, and most of the consoles had very good ports to port the game. I, I don't don't think any of that, you know I don't you know, you know I don't you know, I don't think any of the ports of the, the, the um, any ports of the game came out terribly. Maybe Super NES version of the game kind of compares some of the weakest compared to some of them. Uh, but, the, uh, but then again, Super NES was not as powerful as, like I said, the Jaguar or the 3DO as far as the, uh, um, as far as, what, you know, as far as what they could do. But, um, I mean, like, you know, it's, um, it's not wired down too much, too much in any meaningful, uh, in a meaningful way. Um, you know, mine is the whole control scheme, which is the, 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 the first game, which is a whole different can of worms. But, um, so I, what do you think about the, uh, the conversion of the game? The conversion of the game itself, like on the Super NES. Yeah, I, I think if you didn't know that this was an Amiga game, and you came to it completely in a vacuum and had never seen it, I think you wouldn't not... Do you understand? Like, you wouldn't not think it was developed for the console. I think it looks and plays like a an, an SNES game. It's got its own graphical style, which works really well. I was actually going to just say something. You just mentioned about the graphics not being not too bad. They're not quite as good as the Amiga version. Of course, of yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was thinking about this the other day. So I was playing The Last of Us 2, right? Which is a fantastic game, right? And I really enjoy it. I have issues with the story, and I'm sure loads of, you know, there are well-documented <laughs> issues with the story, right? But as a game, it's great. It's one of the most graphically amazing things you're ever going to see. And I still don't think it's as effective. Anything in that game is as effective graphically as the guys getting injured and crying out to be killed as they are in Cannon Fodder. And it's a sprite with 10 pixels. And the sound is just the guy screaming. And again, I'm thinking about how I was playing The Last of Us 2 and it looks like I'm in a real forest and I can hear the axe hitting the guy's head with the the meaty sound and his friends Mm. coming up for him and I still don't think any of that affected me as much as last week when I was playing through Cannon Fodder going I'm going to have to put that guy down because I don't want to have to hear his screams like also for anybody listening it's not that deep of a game (laughs) it's just it's not like it's not like oh silence of the lambs territory here but um (laughs) it is like there are as joe had mentioned there are some brutal parts to it and i think the graphics work really really well at getting across information without detail so yeah yeah whoever designed this whoever was the the art director for the video game has done a fantastic job of getting everything across considering that they don't have that many colors to work with they don't have that many textures to work with and yet still the like the jungle levels don't just look like the snow levels with white over the top which is something which can happen in in snes and and uh, genesis era games exactly right yeah so i don't know who handled the conversion of the games for the the games that the um i mean sensible software and version did handle the conversions of the versions of the game of the game um i don't know who incentive software worked to work the super nes port uh but the original artist for the amiga version was Stu cambridge mm-hmm. um uh, uh who's uh, uh who's a very well-known like british artist yeah so um but but uh yeah yeah for sure so the biggest, so the biggest issue I had with this version of the game, and like you know, I'm 
Joe, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this. Always not going to notice this because he's used to it, but because this game was PAL, I found it to be very, very slow and sluggish. To the point where I actually had to increase the speed rate, um, uh, like an emulator, to play it more like an NTSC version to what I'm used to. Because I found you bloody purists. <laughs> yeah, because the game was just just like so slow. I'm like, ah, speed up already. But um, did you have that frustration, Joe? So having not played this game before, no, I didn't have any of that. So I didn't even think of the fact that oh my god, it's PAL is running at 50 hertz or whatever, like. And that didn't even like seep into my mind so i played it like i thought it was intended to be which is slow and prodding and like the the slowness of the game i thought was a programming aspect of it like that is how it's supposed to be that's how the game is played huh. and okay. i didn't notice the difference until like i said i played the amiga version and it moved much better <laughs> but i mean it is what it is you know what i mean yeah. so yeah yeah, yeah if, I mean, like, you know, if I had probably yeah. gotten this, you know, or, you know, was more educated going into it, I think I probably would have noticed the difference, maybe, but probably not. Well, I'm sure the game, yeah, of course, because, like, you know, like, yeah, because that makes sense, because, like, you know, like, you wouldn't know, um, unless you actually pay attention to it, that, you know, there's a PAL game, because, like, you know, like I said, if the game had come out in North America, of course they would have, like, you know, changed it, so right. we wouldn't have noticed anything, like, over here, but it's like, it's like, you know, I didn't even have to compare it to the original game, I'm just like, you know, this just, like, I knew right away, oh, this is, oh, oh, this is a PAL game, it's gonna be slow, so, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's slow, so I actually, I actually, I actually bumped up the frame rate 100%, uh, like, in the emulator to speed up to approximate what it would have been in the original PAL format. Right. So, um, which because, yeah, because as all I can testify to, the game's, the, the game, the, the, the game's supposed to be like fast paced, but. Yeah, it's supposed know, to be mission's... smooth. Not, not yeah. necessarily fast paced, but like each of your little, uh, like, so for those, you might as well explain the game to the people. You're, you're pointing, I keep talking about the mouse. So you select <laughs> where you want your soldiers to move with the uh, the arrow which is on screen you hit a they'll move to there if you hit b they'll fire in the direction of where your arrow is that's effectively the entire controls of the game and you have to move around and you reveal the giant map as you go yeah. along and you just move through each of the nine effective screens of the map it's a it's a continuous scrolling screen but if you were to start yeah. on the top right you would have three full <laughs> screens before you got to the top left mm. all right so you basically just go through the nine squares of the map and kill everything that moves. Yeah. And yeah. that's it. That's that's the game. It just becomes difficult as you go along. I I agree with what Joe was saying that um, it does run much smoother on the Amiga. But if you had never played it, it feels like the pace on the SNES is intentional. Mm. So as in, okay, yeah. Th so this is not a faster action game right and even though this is even though it's hmm, i do <laughs> prefer the amiga version i like the slightly slower pace of the snes version it really okay it's it, just because i like then feeling like i'm kind of gonna sound like a, a psychopath here i like methodically <laughs> making my way through the map and murdering everything which is <laughs> which is what you're doing whereas sometimes in the amiga version especially in the in the early levels it's almost like a sprint 
Like, you can yeah. imagine the guys are knackered by the time they've finished getting around and killing all of those unsuspecting, you know, soldiers coming out of their endless huts. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the map. Uh, do you wish the game, like, ever had a radar system, uh, Ollie? Do you think that, you know, I think the radar would have really made this game, like, I mean, like, a lot easier, but it would, um, you know, but having said that, it also would have, uh, I also recognize that it would really change the gameplay, like, quite a bit. Yeah, if it would make anything after level 50 pointless, because once you get up to those levels, it's all about taking your time and what's off screen. And as I was talking about listening to the audio cues, because the sound a rocket guy makes is different to the sound a grenade <coughs> guy makes, which is different to the sound of a helicopter. You can hear a helicopter from effectively two screens over. So if you had a radar from the beginning, I think you would still have to reveal each of the screens. To, do you understand what I'm getting at? Like, so Sure, you, exactly, so, yeah, yeah. So effectively, if you're going to have to do that, then there's... It, there's no benefit to having it in. It would make the game easier, but they would. Well, they might have used like a. Yeah, sorry. I was gonna say they might. Uh, they might have used the command and conquer system with radar, which like it. Uh, so the way it works there is like you only the radar only shows the radar only shows areas that you've actually explored. The rest of the map is still black. Yeah. So it, like, so it would help you with the areas that you've already been to, but not the new areas. But see, this is what I'm saying is like, so yes, you would have to go and explore them. But then I think the game would become, because it's slightly faster, I think it would become me running into the screen on the right and then running back out. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I reveal that part of the map. I come back out. Okay. So this is what was real on the map. Oh, I can see there's four guys in there now. So. Yeah. And you, you guys probably didn't do this um, a lot. Uh, in the lower levels but you can split your party and get them to come in in four different places mm. um, so it, it, I said it gets quite tactical and you can give them instructions individual instructions as to what you want them to do so in that way I was just thinking like I could go in and lure the guys to follow me out of the screen and have my other three guys set up to do suppressing fire effectively right. and then it would just become <laughs> What did they call it in Dark Souls, Greg? Kiting? Where yes, you yeah. go grab, like run into the room, wait for the skeletons to follow you and run out of the room and then take them in a narrow corridor where they can't surround you. So that's right, what exactly. effectively yeah, you'd yeah. be doing. You should be kiting soldiers around just for your guys to mow them down. Which, which you have to do in most missions because like, you know, you are outnumbered, outnumbered, like, outnumbered, outnumbered, outnumbered and, out, uh, uh, and outgunned for most of the game. So if you don't do that, you're going to get squatted, um, you know, like five seconds flat. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of strategy in this game. I, I mean, it's a very deeper game than it first looks. Yeah, it starts out very simple, gets very, very difficult. <laughs> uh, but yeah, cool. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, Joe, you said that over uh, all in all, you had a pretty positive experience with this, even though you're not a big, like a big, like you know, RTS fan. Yeah. Um, is this the game you think you may uh, like go back to at some point? Maybe on the Amiga. Yeah, I, I would be more than happy to go back to this. Actually, I just uh, was looking up on Google. Apparently, uh, Cannon Fodder 3 is available on Steam. So I, I did, did not know that, huh? Okay, yeah, all so right. I might have to look to see what other uh, games might be available. Is, um, right. Just I know there is a version of Cannon Fodder 3 where they, they 3D'd it up a little bit. So Yeah, just, uh, yeah the, screen, the screenshots I saw, it looked like it was still like... Uh, 
you know, like a top-down kind of isometric view. Good. Go for it, Joe. With, you, um, will not, you, know. you, you will not regret <laughs> it. It's good for that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, oh, wait, did you ever play... This game also reminds me like a lot about... Uh, um, so this game also reminds me a lot about another like British computer game, uh, like the time period. Uh, so did you ever play like Syndicate? Oh, yeah. Syndicate's a great game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this, this is this yeah. is very similar. Like Syndicate is yeah, the I was say very very similar. Slightly yeah, more, right. I was gonna I was gonna say a slightly more arcadey version of this, but yeah, it's yeah. Um, a less thinking man's version of this. I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good comparison. Yeah, Syndicate's also a great game. So, but yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So uh, this. So you already mentioned. Oh, this is your first time really playing the Super NES. Uh, the Super NES. Like you're like you know pleasantly you're pleasantly surprised by it. Um, what were your, um, so, like, so what were, so do you, like, so you, what were the drawbacks or some limitations, uh, 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 on this version, not counting the control scheme, which you've already, like, talked about, so, um, you know, like, um, all in all, was there anything else about this version of the game that you really, like, liked or disliked? Yeah, I think, I, because I had never played it before in Amiga, I knew about it, I knew about Sensible's games. I didn't really yeah. have any drawbacks beyond the fact that it was existing in another person's house. Um, yeah. So I had to go around <laughs> and be friends with him in order to to get my chance to play Cannon Fodder until 1997 when I got you know my own copy of the game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't like the SNES. Like as much as I make jokes about it and stuff, it's a cracking system. Like the controller yeah. is a brilliant controller. It feels mm -hmm. right in yep. your hand. It doesn't feel the way that the PlayStation 1 and 2 controller feels in my hand because, I mean, that I, I'm almost certain I've got PlayStation controller-shaped hands, right? Mm. But, <laughs> but the SNES controller itself is such a beautiful piece of kit that it never really felt constrictive, whereas I've played this version of the game on the Mega Drive and it was like I was going to get cramp in my thumbs trying to play it. Ah, so, yeah. On an original SNES controller, it still feels nice. It still feels good. Like I said, there's going to be some limitations because you don't have a mouse. You can't scroll over things. So therefore, it's not the same type of game in, in total. But as a gaming experience on, on this console, it's really good. I genuinely yeah. enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said before, you know, I, I um, you know, there are uh, there are comparison videos on YouTube and whatnot, like their versions of this game, like in their co uh, consoles, and like you know, there's there's some there's some additions, additions, differences, to some of the other versions of the game. For example, for example, 3D version has like you know like pseudo like pseudo 3D models at the start of the game and whatnot. Uh, so all the versions of the game are a little bit different, but they all have the same core gameplay. They all seem like very, yeah, they all seem like a very good ports. I mean, like, you know, I actually think the Super NES version may be, may be one of the weakest ports only because the system the system was kind of weak compared to the other systems. Mm -hmm. But, um, having said, you know, having said that, though, this is still a very, very good port of the game. So, it's like, and the control scheme is you get used to it because, you know, just like any kind of type, um, any time, um, the, so, like, any time that you have a game ported from a computer to a console, you're going to have that, you're going to have that issue. But, um, did you... So do, um, so do you think I, so do you think you guys like, uh, I've ever played, I've ever played Maniac Mansion like on the NES? No. No, I. Yes. I think the only time yeah. I played Maniac Mansion was in Grim Fandango. Yeah. 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 Same issue because like you know you're trying to move around, 
you're slowly plodding along uh, the cursor on the screen, like the gamepad, which is not ideal. But I mean, like it works. I mean, like yeah. I mean, like they did what they could, like the control scheme. So it's like you know, I understand it's frustrating. I understand it's not quite as effective in, the, in that version, but it does the job uh, because um, um, I I like does the job of like you no know, like you no know, handling you know. You know, handling controls. Even though I agree with you, Ollie, it's not the same as Bob's keyboard. The best I can say about it, like, you get used to it. It works. Yeah, yeah. But it, again, this is one of those things where, like, looking at it with 2021 eyes, um, it's mad to say that we're recording this in 2021, but uh, <laughs> and it, March in 2021. But like, back in those days, you only had three games, four games. Like, whereas now, I, I was thinking about this, I was almost embarrassed because um, my son was helping me clean out the, the games room. And uh, there's like a, a set of presses over in the corner, like cupboards. And it's just, f they're filled with games, like stacked up video games that I've collected over the last 35 years of video gaming. And I'm thinking back to the like, Ollie 1995 Ollie, who had, you know, <laughs> four games on his Genesis and his friend his friend <laughs> Peter had three games on his SNES and now if I wanted to I can go upstairs take the SNES down and pick from one of 60 games which for some reason I own like mm, yeah it's it, it's almost got to parody levels yeah how <laughs> how much we collect these things but oh no Back in those days. Well, yeah, not only you, that, you know, games themselves are much more easier to obtain and cheaper these days than ever before either because of things like, you know, Steam and GOG, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm actually still talking about physical media. Like, I mean, I have a Steam account, yeah. um, which yeah. has four games on it. Um, and, <laughs> sure. and two of those are Jackbox collections. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly a huge Steam guy. And, and, I, and one of the other ones is uh, Hitman 1 and 2 combined because they were giving it away for free. So oh, yeah, I was okay, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll take that. Oh wait, no, that was Epic. But yeah, so I've I've got three games on Steam and one game on the Epic um, Media or Epic Game Store or whatever it is. Like, I just I'm much more into putting the disc into the to machine and, and sitting down and playing it and and having it in my hands. But the the collection I have now is something that only a rich kid would have had in the nineties. Mm. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, and but. I find some of these like this. I have a version of, for example, um, just thinking of my N64 because I have a friend who did an N64 podcast, and we, I was helping, like I was collecting some of the games for him, and you know he gave them back to me when the, when the podcast finished. It was called Ultra 64, and I have a bunch of games up there which I bought for like four bucks, like you know going on to eBay and getting a copy of Blast Core. Or Blast Corpse um, for five euros or whatever it was. And I remember back in the day thinking, I'm going to have to save my pocket money for nine months to be able to buy this. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. a year ago, I was able to buy a copy of it in perfect working order that I can put into my N64, and it cost me a fiver. Right. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so all things considered, uh, starting to wrap things up here uh excellent port of the game uh the game still is quite fun to play these days as it was back then i think um you know like limitations limitations aside as far as like not having the actual uh, uh, the actual the actual song of the starter or, or start like the pro scheme um it's a very good port of the game it's still 
you know, it does a great job of combining, like, action with, like, you know, strategy elements to it. Um, it gets, to, um, I wish the game didn't get quite so difficult quite so fast. Uh, because some of those, like, later missions are just absolutely brutal to go through, mm. but, um, but the, uh, yeah, all things, yeah, all, yeah, all things considered, I mean, this is still, I'll think, all things considered, I, I, I still think, I still think, I still think this is a fun game to play today. It's like, you know, um, you know, like, um, you know, the, and the, the message of the game is still, is still, um, is still as powerful and is still as effective now as the, effective now like it was later into release. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, all in all, fun game. So, um, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Joe. Um, and so, uh, Ollie, I, I appreciate you coming to the podcast because you're the one who, who knew the, uh, who knew the most about this and the, uh, uh the history and experiences and whatnot. So I want to thank you again for, uh, joining us and being able to share your experience and thoughts, uh, as far as the game went. Well, yeah, anytime, anytime you're talking about a European-centric game and you want somebody to come on and, and chat about it, I'm, I'm always <laughs> up for it. And if anything, it'll give me an excuse to dig out games or go looking for a copy like, oh, you want to talk about Earthworm Jim 2? I'll find the copy of Earthworm Jim 2. <laughs> so before I move on to uh, eBay and cheats and final thoughts to wrap this up, uh, do you have any final thoughts like about the game that you want to uh, mention like real quick, Ollie? Like anything else? Yeah, just w- one thing that I, I was noticing for anybody listening, so it's a real-time strategy game. But this is not a real-time strategy game. It's such a weird combination. It's it's an action game that is controlled like a real-time strategy game. There's very few games I can think of that are like this that aren't specifically made by Sensible or Gremlin. Like mm. it, it's it's a real one-off kind of genre that they created themselves. And it's all based on the fact that that's what Sensible did best, which was this kind of top-down to a little bit of an angle perspective, small sprites that have a lot of character built into them, and then gameplay, which is designed to be simple but complex in the long run. So yeah, it's it's a if you've never played a cannon fodder game, you've never played a game like cannon fodder. So for those of you listening, if you just you could do a lot worse than finding a ROM of this and giving it a go. I guarantee you'll enjoy it. Um, you might enjoy it better on the Amiga version, but you will enjoy it all the same. So, yeah, give it a go, people who are listening. Okay, and how about you, Joe? Like anything else? It's it's a fun romp. Uh, definitely <laughs> give it a try. Um, and don't be... Uh, you know, like Ollie said, like although you know this is technically a RTS, it, it's more action than it is um, anything else, and it's fantastic. And who knows? You know, if you like British humor, you'll, you'll probably pick up the little nuances and love it. And uh, if you don't, well, then maybe you should be cultured a little bit more. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh. Well, cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So, um, so uh, there is so there is a cheat code in this game. Uh, you can skip levels. Um, uh, like um, if you select the password uh, Q and F J R, you can hit select uh, during gameplay to skip to whatever mission that you want to go. So, um, so there was like one cheat code that the game cheating had. is oh, for yeah. uh, losers, uh, Greg. Um, <laughs> those of us who are uh, purists. We uh we never cheat, but also if you could just say that again so I can write it down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Do, do you know, actually, it's, if there's one thing I miss most in video games, it's cheat codes. I agree. Yeah, I genuinely true. miss yeah. them. I miss the idea that, uh, like, just some developer went, let's just stick this in. Like, here's a little code. If somebody puts it in and they've suddenly got big head mode or somebody puts this in and CJ in GTA San Andreas now has a rocket launcher. Like, right. I miss that. And it never, that does they just don't seem to exist anymore in even even in structured formats but like nowadays people talk about oh i went into the code and i found this glitch that you can use like well that's fantastic but i just want to hit xo triangle square four times and the up arrow and now suddenly i've got the best sword in dark souls like you know you miss i I genuinely miss those little just small things like that yep yeah true but uh yeah so um so ebay pricing as i mentioned before i don't know why but this game is not very common on ebay and therefore like it um you know the copies of the game do go for a lot of money i think part of it's because that it was only released by released released in europe um it doesn't look like it had a big release in europe though for whatever reason probably because as i mentioned uh most people those days were more computer gamers than console gamers so i guess they didn't see it was I feel it's like um, you know, that big of a market for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably was not a very big print run. Um, uh, I found only 11 copies of this game available for sale uh, 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 on eBay at the time of doing this podcast, which goes back. Um, and like in the history of 90 days, only four copies of the game like recently sold. And these were all by the like, European seller. I mean, like they were willing to ship overseas. So this pricing I'm going to give you includes, like, includes shipping. Um, but you know, like all, um, beyond all the copies of the game that came from Europe. So, currently version of the game, so anywhere from like, uh, um, uh, so the, like the three, like the three versions of the, the three, the three of the, the three of the four sales were, were cart, were cart only. Like I said, like I said, these prices include shipping, those sold anywhere from, uh, $30, $50, $50 $60, how much the game went for. Mm-hmm. Um, a complete version of the game with the box, the manual ran for, uh, so over $92. So, um, yeah. So if you're looking for this game on cart, you can kind of expect to pay for it a bit because to pay for a bit because it is, like I said, European only, and you probably have to pay for the extra cost to have it to, to, to have shipped over the Atlantic uh, to you. So, uh, definitely more pricier game because of that reason. But uh, um, but uh, yeah. So um, I uh, so like, like so yeah. If your friend, if your friend so has the game these days, oh, he probably. Yeah, you probably could sell for like, you know, like quite a, a chunk of change. Yeah. Uh, if you if you want to find something which is genuinely amazingly expensive, um, there is a book about sensible software um, made by... It was published by ROM uh, I, uh, in 2013 or something. And I think copies... Oh, yeah, I've seen this book. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think copies of that go for 200, 200 plus. Wow! Because it was it was such a limited run of the book. I know if you go onto Amazon, there's a second-hand copy for 127 pounds at the minute. Um, and I know this because I would like to buy a copy of this book, um, but <laughs> I'm not paying 127 pounds for a book. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I mean, if it was a first edition Wheel of Time signed by Robert Jordan, maybe. Um, this book, yeah. my favorite book from my favorite order, but oh, sorry, one of my favorite books from my favorite order. Book five is the best book in my series, but yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going 
to spend 127 bucks just because I like I genuinely love Sensible so- Software. I loved all of their games. I followed them as much as a kid I was following. Like I mean, if a game had Sensible in front of it, I was going to buy it. Um, yeah. I bought Sensible Golf on the Amiga for God's sake. I've n- <laughs> I don't like <laughs> golf, but it had it on. And I tell you one thing, it's a fantastic little golf game. Mm. Yeah, but like, and I would like to read the book, but I'm not going like, to. 127 pounds is what 160 euro or dollars. Yeah, I actually found the book like online. It actually came out in 2013. Uh, read only memory. Uh, so uh, yeah, it sounds like yeah, yeah, it sounds like if you missed the book back then, you're kind of SOL as far as like trying to get a copy of it these days. Yeah, I think um, it was um, what do you call it? Uh, Kickstartered. And, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, and then I think they only made like something like 50 copies or 60 copies beyond the people who backed it on Kickstarter. Mm. And I'm assuming then that the only copies they'll ever sell now are the copies that went beyond the Kickstarter ones. But at the same time, like, you know, like the book has actually been recognized as being so important that there are uh, that BAFTA, uh, which is the British uh, Academy of Film Television Arts actually has a copy like in their library. Mm. Um, so they actually recognize, um, you know, um, you know, the importance uh, the important history that it covers but that, that's interesting yeah if any of your listeners but, uh, have a copy and want to loan it to me like uh <laughs> feel free <laughs> yeah half yeah 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 describe be so yeah described here as being like half art book like in half analysis which is interesting too so yeah they, they really go into how a small developer can rise up like sensible were huge during the 16-bit era like I think um oh yeah yeah I think they had seven or eight number one charted games in a row um yeah and I think ROM um they did a book about the bitmap brothers as well so they were the guys who like made speedball and things like that like two small British companies who just made gangbusters and then fell apart on the move to 3d like they just yeah. couldn't handle well, it and that's what happened to sensible like they couldn't None of the games that they tried to make in 3D came true. They really fell apart because we're trying to create a game called Love and Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. And it was like... It's the best way to describe it would be in the style of sensible games, but about doing crime and having fun. So like GTA before GTA was GTA. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. they could never get it off the ground. But the screenshots for that game look amazing. <laughs> I, I, I would do anything to find a copy of. Like you know what you were saying. Like sometimes people sit on them. That's yeah. one of those things where someday I hope somebody goes, "Oh yeah, well we actually do have a working version of the game. I just never bothered <laughs> to release it before." Yeah. Yeah, they're also working. I, I yeah, so they're also working like a PlayStation, a PlayStation action game like called Have a Nice Day, which also. Uh, never came out and apparently like you know like uh, be- uh and like the company spent so much time and money on those two games i never actually saw the light of the day that's one of the reasons that they like eventually had to close but um yeah. well 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 got bought out like i said before co masters uh, co masters that uh, you'll pick them up eventually but um but uh, yeah so interesting but uh yeah i yeah but yeah i mean like you know the, uh but yeah like like i said oh the oh they had a lot of great games. The sensible world, um, you, you know, you know, the world. So, you, you know, hell, the sense of the sensible world of soccer franchise is still going strong today. So, I'm mean, like, you know, that just, you know, that just proved like how strong, I mean, how good those games were. So, hmm. but they, uh, 
I will check eBay real quick here to see if there's any copies of the book available on there. So you already Amazon, but they uh Anyway, so while I'm doing this, why don't we wrap up? Uh, Ollie, um, do you have any other, uh, uh, do you have any podcasts you want on a regular basis you want to plug? Any other, um, yeah, any um, other projects that you want to talk about? Let me see. So my my main podcast, which I, I was doing with my uh, my partner, my best friend, my my I'm not sure how to describe her, Emily, uh, was called Best Acquaintances, and we finished that up um, just because you know we we'd done 150 episodes and we were like. <laughs> Like the podcast has kind of run a course at this point. But I do another one with a, a good friend of mine named Sarah. She's a medieval historian. And uh, we watch medieval set movies together. And then she rips them apart uh, <coughs> on what they get right and what they get wrong. Um, so if you just want somebody who's an expert in her field watching Braveheart and then telling you that they've got the wrong type of armor for the warriors. <laughs> uh, and then her friend Ollie um, sitting there going yeah but there's a good bit where he cuts off a dude's hand um, so like there's two extremes of responses like she goes into the nitty gritty and I'm now going yeah but you know it's, it's really good and exciting and stuff um, so I've kind of stepped away from being the main guest but I, I'll still pop up every now and then I recently did an episode on Robin Hood Prince of Thieves with her which was a lot of fun. So yeah, check it out. It's called Media Evil, and I highly recommend it. So even on the episodes I'm not on, it's worth listening to. Hmm. Cool. Okay. All right. Um. And Joe, how about you? Ah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Joe Sucks three zero. Uh, probably hmm. the best. I still do a podcast, but I mean, I'm not doing anything with it at the moment, so uh, <laughs> I'm not going to bother mentioning uh, that. <laughs> yeah. True. So, uh, yeah, just to, uh, so yeah, so, uh, I can be found, uh, um, uh, at the SNES podcast, yahoo.com, or we also have a Facebook group. We welcome to join us. Uh, just to finish up your thought real quick here, Ollie, I did take a, um, so I did take a quick look at that sensible software book. Uh, there's nothing on eBay and Amazon does have some copies, but you're right. The cheapest copy available on, uh, available on Amazon is uh, Amazon, Amazon, it's like, you know, it's like 300, 300, 300, and Three hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. So it's three hundred and fifty dollars um, is about three hundred dollars more than I'm willing to spend for that book. <laughs> it's too bad this. Yeah, it's really too bad this book's not been. It, it, uh, it, um, it, um, it's really too bad this book's not been. This, this book's not been made available in a like Kindle format, for example. But because yeah, there you know, is like, a way to find it. Um, but I've, I, I would genuinely feel bad, and uh, I mean normally I don't feel bad about finding stuff on the internet if you get what i'm saying but um i would feel bad it's out about of print that. And you, yeah well I, it's a it's yeah, a, i feel the same way about coffee table book, like games, i want but, it on my coffee yeah. table you know but yeah yeah find it on the internet yeah, and I mean, just like, print you know, it out yourself yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, here here's a pdf i printed out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know like you know reading versus having two different things so it's like you know like in this kind of book i would probably want to read I wouldn't want to keep, but oh, I, uh, I would want but, to keep it. I want to, I want a copy of it. But, <laughs> but they, uh, yeah, but okay, all right then. Well, uh, as always, Joe, thank you for taking time on your day to join us. Of course, uh, join us like this podcast, and like always, again, thank you very much for taking time out of your day with the time differences, like everything, uh, to come on here, to come on here, and bring us a game to talk about share experiences, experiences of the world or whatnot. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully I'll have you back in the podcast again like sometime soon. Yeah, I'd love to. Anytime. Um, what I'm going to do now is go see if I can find my dot matrix printer and uh, get that 
authentic 1990s version of the book I'm going to print out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so we're going from one... Yes, 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 we're going from one European-based game to one Japanese-based game next time around because Joe is the pick the next game of the podcast. And what did you want to cover this time, Joe? We're going to check out the fun and whimsical game of UFO Cayman Yakisoban. And I'm sure I butchered that, but... Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought there was a Japanese person in the room. What's going on? <laughs> You're too kind. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, what you saying before off mic uh, has like a tie-in to like a ramen company? Yeah, said, apparently like UFO that, is but... a ramen company and this was uh, a marketing tool to where like the mascot is a superhero. And uh, yeah, it's it's bonkers. Like... It, it's it's fun, but it, it's bonkers. Legit huh. bonkers. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> but interesting. Okay. All right. Well, we're, well, we well, well, we will get into that next time for sure. So, again, thank everybody for taking time to join us today. Uh, you know, we always appreciate it. And uh, everybody out there, stay safe. Uh, take care, and we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Uh, later, all. Bye. Bye. Nintendo controls 80% of the video market. But no matter how you play the game, or which game you play, things definitely have come a long way since Pac-Man. Now you're playing with power. Mm -hmm.